0: So we are gathered for our Friday morning Torah study. You'll notice that it's set up a little differently. We're a little uh, busier this morning, and that is because we have the great good fortune um, to have with us this Friday morning Rabbi Dan Aronson, uh, direct from Bucks County, Pennsylvania. Where he is uh, busy uh, directing Jewish learning. Um, And of course, one of the things that uh, we rabbis love to do the most and are in general hired to do uh, is teach and teach Torah. So we are very, um, very lucky to be able to have him with us this morning teaching our uh, group who was so committed to coming every week to learn and engage uh, with Torah. So um, let's begin with our usual uh, Torah blessing. Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kiddushanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu la'asok b'divrei Torah. Blessed are you, God Spirit of the universe, who makes us holy with your commandments and commands that we engage uh, with words of Torah. Uh, to welcome uh, Rabbi Aaronson, Let us also say she'echiyanu. Baruch ata Adonai Eloheinu melech ha'olam, We bless the source of life for giving us life, sustaining us in that life, that we could reach this exciting moment in time together. I give you Rabbi Dan Aronson. Thank
1: you. You're not really going to be needing to use your Humashim this morning, because uh, rather than focus directly on the parashah, we're going to focus on some minor holiday that's coming up, uh, that I'm sure, you know, it's it's probably not even on your radar. Um, but Pesach is, is coming up, and it's actually really amazing that there's so many people here today, uh, and I'm, I'm sure... You know, y'all have that usual anxiety before Pesach, or some of you do at least. So, I'm I'm glad that you're here. Um, so, years ago, I used to work for Hillel, and not so many years ago, I was the dean of admissions and recruitment at the Reconstructionist Rabbinical College, and in both of those capacities, I would attend the Hillel student leaders assembly, uh, which was in some Little camp, and you know, there'd be two, three hundred college students there. And the head of the education department for Hillel at the time was Rabbi Avi Weinstein. And he created kind of a, a way of looking at texts so that you would have a room full of these college students arguing with each other. And it was really quite fascinating. So I've always been um, kind of enamored with his approach, which is to take a, a text and present it like it's a page of Talmud, with a central text to study and other texts around the edge that sort of serve as commentary. So I would like to uh, to pass these out, and I'm pretty sure that there's enough for everyone <coughs> here. So let me ask you first, um, what, is, what is your favorite part of the Passover Seder? You know, when you think of the Haggadah, and you're going through it. So it's not a question about what's your favorite part of Passover, but what's your favorite part of the Seder itself? Who has a Does anyone have a favorite part?
0: <laughs>
1: Singing. The set?
0: maror, <laughs>
1: maror, really, okay. Why maror?
0: Um, I think the intensity of like talking about slavery and oppression and suffering, and then like we directly experience. That, there's something about the drama for me of, of really tasting the hardship of our history. That's
1: it's intense. It's very interesting. So, someone said haroset, someone said maror. And singing. The four questions. Why the four questions? Um, because of the way that it brings
2: in the next generation. And,
1: uh, Very nice.
2: None of the children in my family
1: <coughs> know it. Very <laughs> good. The
3: one who goes to day school.
1: Yes, that that becomes the early measure of the success of a religious school, whether the kids can do the four questions.
3: When the grandchildren were a bit younger, I think they ought to be common because they got their attention focused on
1: who we're doing. Right. Which is part of the intention of the Afikomen. The grandchildren doing the
3: play based on the story. Sure.
1: Being a different character. Right now, you know, when when I think we were growing up, certainly when I was growing up, you we never heard of never we never knew from a play at the the seder, right? And now it's it's the thing to do. Uh, yes.
2: Well, and, and that theme in our family Sagada we the Martin Luther King I Have a Dream
1: speech. So uh-huh. That's awesome. <laughs> <thing. laughs> do you sing it? <laughs> yes. Do you sing it? We don't sing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like, like the whole notion of it would have been enough but it's just
4: there's it's kind of the theme of the Jewish people bring it on we can take it, it you
5: know
1: Right. It would be nice if the Hebrew word for enough was not die, but whatever. Uh, you do hear stories of, of Israelis going to visit loved ones in the hospital and saying, like, die, Kvar and, and, you know, people just don't get it. So That's
6: right. Um, actually, my favorite part is the sentence and therefore the idea when we get to it that uh, every generation... Supposed to see ourselves as if we personally were freed from slavery. Okay. Um, Always opens up in wherever we are. Conversation about what do we enslave to today and what do we need to be liberated from today, and some of that is always intensely personal. Right. Personal statements, and some of it is where we are happen to be in society today.
1: One of the, to me, one of the most interesting words in rabbinic literature is the word kiilu. As if, um, and I in rabbinical school, I always used to latch on to those kinds of relationships. Um, we do something ki'ilu as if, and then try to figure out, you know, what does that what does that mean? Okay, two more. Yes.
7: There's something about the preparation for the seder that uh, is very exciting because uh, in our family. My husband and I used to take parts from different Haggadahs and, you know, paste things together and insert things. And now our kids are doing that. Oh, nice. And that's really so gratifying to see right. that they
1: do that. Right. Yeah. Blast. Uh, Opening the door and letting Elijah in. <laughs> okay. And have you ever like set someone up to come in at that point? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And wipe your feet. (laughs) Elijah, come in and wipe your feet. So the other question that I want to ask is what pieces of the Seder or the Haggadah are you not so comfortable with? Maybe that you don't like or that make you feel uneasy? Okay.
6: First Lord,
1: so. okay. Right, the plagues. The plagues. plagues right, right. Uh, it. I'm not one of these people that loves the idea of plague bags. Um, a lot of people do. It's a great way to engage children, but it's really problematic. I mean, the reason we spill the the wine is to remember is to lessen our joy over the hardship of. Of the Egyptians, so yeah, that's that's problematic. Did you have? Who else has something that makes them a little uncomfortable? Yes. There's
8: often these little stories in there that, that you know that, that the rabbis were talking and they went, "Oh, it's time for the morning prayer." I mean, like, there's always these little pieces in that are meaningless and like, what is this doing in here?
3: Right, <laughs>
1: right. So they were largely excised from um, Kaplan's Haggadah, right? Um, <laughs> as the plagues were too the original version which my family used years the original reconstruction very no nice plagues, no plagues in it. really <laughs> and no rabbi jose either right there was rabbi jose yeah any other things that make people feel uncomfortable yes yeah why does that make you feel uncomfortable
3: well, um, we have all the children involved, and only one gets the albacoma. on it. We did. We, uh, I made uh, uh, opacoma for each of the kids with their names, and I hit them in different places. Mm-hmm. And the um, the older kids helped the younger ones find their Avakomen, and they all became out winners. Instead of being sad about it, it should be a happy occasion.
1: So everyone had to find his or her own Coleman. Right, but it, it created a better
3: atmosphere because
1: it's, it's for the children as well as the adults. That's nice. I, highly adaptive. And because it has the child's name on it, they can't argue who does what. The longest, the longest Seder I was ever at was at the home of Jacob Neusner, who was one of my teachers as an undergrad. And that night, there were a couple of undergrads at his house and some grad students, and we couldn't find the Komen. <laughs> like all of these, you know. You to
3: a you <laughs>
1: Present company accepted all these brilliant people in the room. We couldn't find the Afikomen, and there wasn't a six-year-old in the room. Um, but someone had the idea of tipping the couch upside down. And it was a, um, a sleeper sofa. And the afikoman had, like, fallen back. So we literally had to move the furniture to find the afikoman. That was a very long night. Yes?
3: When I was a kid, our satyrs, my uncles, who had been born in Ukraine, we'd all sit down and they would mumble in Hebrew for about two hours. And while... I like the feeling of it. It kind of got boring mm-hmm. as a kid, and I couldn't relate to it at all. So I would say a part of the seder that is not accessible to the people who are there Right. There'd be a negative.
1: Yeah, very good. And was there another comment? Yes. i was just going to say that at our seder last year, my nephew found the comment from the year before. <laughs> <laughs> very good. <laughs> I want to know how much she charges to do house cleaning. So, um, who here was, is the youngest in their family? I'm, I'm the youngest. Okay. Did, did you love Pesach? Did you love the Seder? Were you, like, the focus of attention for so many years? Was that great? Yeah. Okay. Uh, middle children, older children? Who, who are you? Yeah. So, how was how it for you? Like... For one night, you had to be in our shadow, the youngest. <laughs> was it okay? You still in therapy for it? Okay, okay. well, that's good. Um, so I used to love being the youngest, and I did all of the singing, and uh, my uncle's father was from Hungary, and he would sit at the end of the table, and I would do the four questions, and he'd always end with, The cousin, The chazen! I always wanted to be a, a chazan, but I never had the technical skills to be able to pull it off. Um, so one, the, the piece of the Haggadah that makes me squirm the most is the text that you have in front of you in the middle of the page. Halachma <laughs> Anya, Diachalu Avatana, Be'arar D'Mitzrayim. So this is the bread of affliction which our ancestors ate in the land of Egypt. Okay, so that's that is all fine. Kol dichvini kol Let all who are hungry come and eat. Let all who are in need come and celebrate Passover. That's where I start to squirm. Today we are here next year in the land of Israel. Today we are slaves. Next year we will be free. Not even Ke'ilu. It's not even this year we are like slaves. Next year we'll be free. This year we are slaves. So what is it about let all who are hungry come and eat, let all who are in need come and celebrate Passover? What is it about that that makes me squirm? Does this make anyone else squirm? The thought of someone being hungry, okay. And that you're not really asking them to come. You're not? No, because you've got your whole family there, and you didn't invite all who are hungry. Okay.
7: Not Mm -hmm. everybody wants to celebrate
3: Passover.
1: They want to eat. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so even the people who are there aren't necessarily there about this. Oh, no, I'm talking about those in need or those, those who hungry, in need. may yep. not be
7: interested in Passover. Right. Like that. Oh, that's interesting. They may not be Jewish.
1: They might not be Jewish? Okay. Well, would that be such a bad thing if they, they came in and said, we don't really care about the Passover <clears throat> part, well, but I, may have some more brisket?
7: <laughs> um, it's, it's not that it's terrible, it's just why can't they just say, come and celebrate with
1: us? Right. Okay. Very good. Yes. Well, why just. These are, these are all the kinds of things that make me squirm. Um, one of the reasons this makes me squirm is the word all. Let all who are hungry come and eat. So, you know, I, there was never enough room at our dining table for all the hungry of the world to come in and eat. So, how dare we say something that we, you know, we clearly cannot accommodate? How dare we say these words, let all who are hungry come and eat? Uh, why, do we, why do we say them? What is, what is behind this? So the text that I have around the margins, I think helps shed some light on this. Back again when I was a rabbinical student, uh, Rabbi Steve Sager from North Carolina came and did a workshop with us, a two-day workshop on mezuzah. If you can imagine, like a six- or eight-hour workshop on mezuzah. Like, how are you possibly going to get enough air, enough material to keep us interested? It was the most fascinating two days. Um, what the mezuzah. So mezuzah is the parchment. Oh, mezuzah. Mez, yeah, <laughs> mezuzah. By the way, halachma anya. the words that I just read are, are Aramaic. They're not Hebrew. And mezuzah is the Hebrew and mezuzah is more the Yiddishized version of that. Um, and it's like the Yiddishized ver- the vernacular that you have in your head. So that's what you're attuned to listening to. And for those people, the hungry and the poor, they would have understood halachma anya, but if you had put it in Hebrew, they wouldn't have necessarily had a clue. So it's specifically in language that people can understand. So as part of this class on the mezuzah, he brought forth a, t- a text that I have been looking for for years, and I finally came upon it. Um, it is a commentary on a verse from this week's parasha, Parashat Tzav. And the line in the parasha is, Ve'et kol ha'ida hakhel el petach o'hel mo'ed. Assemble the whole community at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So the context of this is the uh, it's the installation ceremony for Aaron the high priest and his sons. So this is like his big day, and how does this you know how does this chain of tradition start? It starts with Moses basically giving them a blessing, and so Moses assembles the whole community at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So. How many people do you think are in the whole community?
3: A lot. <laughs> a lot.
1: At least 600,000 adult men. So, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. Fitting in a space that's about two inches by two. So, if you look on the back, <coughs> there's a diagram of the Ohel Mo'ed. And... There was a rule that said, I put a little dashed line here uh, that goes right between the altar for burnt offering, which was outside of the Holy of Holies that we associate with Yom Kippur, where the Kohen would sacrifice to to God in private. Um, But the first half of the Ohel Moed was off limits because lay people were not allowed to go past this altar of the, the burnt offering. So really you're looking at a space that, in my estimation, is 2,812.5 um, square feet. Okay, so that's not, a, that's not going to accommodate 600,000 people or more. So the question is, First of all, why were they all assembled? And second of all, um, just as we say, what do you mean all who are hungry come and eat? What is the Torah saying that Moses said to all the congregation, come and meet in this small space? Like, no more could we accommodate all the hungry in the world at our dining room tables than Moses could accommodate all of the people of Israel in this small space. Um, so first, the, the reason for assembling the community was so that they would not think that this is Moses is on a power trip, and you know, so he's installing his brother. It doesn't, doesn't look very good. Uh, this is not going to play well on the evening news. So by having this presence in the tent of meeting, the people will see that this was ordained by God, and Moses is just doing God's bidding. So, you know, whether that was the convinced people or not, who knows? So, the more pressing idea is how do these people fit into this space? So Rashi, our uh, 11th century commentator from France, says, this is one of the places in the Torah where a small area miraculously <laughs> contains something much larger than itself. It contains something much larger than itself. The, this particular insight comes from, there are two midrashim, two commentaries on the Torah. One is on the book of Genesis, and one is on the book of Leviticus, And they both deal – the the particular comment deals with how to get a lot in in a little space. For the book of Genesis, the problem was God takes all of the waters on the earth, gathers them up into one place, and then creates dry land. So they said usually when you take a a full vessel of water and you want to create space in that vessel – you, you empty it out into an empty vessel. But he said, "What well, this is a case of taking the water and pouring it into a vessel that's already full. Like, everything was water. So where could he, good God have put it? So they say, ah, it was a miracle. <laughs> now, uh, I don't expect anyone to be able to read this, but on the back of it, the back of the sheet, again, uh, is, that, is the particular commentary in full on this particular pasuk, this particular verse, assemble the whole community at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Let me, let me read some excerpts for you. Rabbi Elazar said, all of Israel was 60 myriads, a myriad being 1,000 um, men. So 600,000 men, or 10,000 men. And you say, at the opening of the tent of meeting, I love whoever did this, put in the punctuation. (laughs) Rather, this is one of the places where a little held a lot. Similarly, God gathered waters from under the heavens into one place. In human practice, a man empties a full vessel into an empty one. Does he ever empty a full vessel into a full vessel? Now the world was full of water everywhere, yet you say, unto one place? Ah, this is one of the places where a little held a lot. Similarly, and Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. So you remember Israel was fetching, as they often did. They were thirsty. They wanted water. So they gathered them in front of the rock so they could witness the miracle of the water coming out of the rock. Well, apparently this rock was not very big. So how could you get all these people around it? Now, Rabbi Hannah um, Hannah said it was about the size of the opening of a small sieve, yet all Israel stood there. Rather, this is one of the places where a little held a lot. Finally, and in the holy temple, too, they stood pressed together, yet when they prostrated themselves, they had ample room. Rabbi Samuel ben Rav Yonah said, each had four cubits, a cubit on each side, so that none should even hear his neighbor's prayer. And in the future, too, it shall be thus. So we have this sort of long list of ways in which a little space held a lot. How could we take that particular understanding of a little holding a lot and apply that to this central text of Halach anya, of let all who are hungry come and eat. How could, you, how could you make the connection? I made it in my head. Uh, what are the mental gymnastics that I you would do?
7: I don't think it was intent. I don't think the project <coughs> is to one Seder table, but to go to all the Seder tables.
1: And so it's a collective voice.
7: voice. Maybe it, that wouldn't be enough. I, I don't know what the numbers
1: are. Very interesting. So just as on... The High Holy Days, we speak in plural, like we connect ourselves to the community speaking with one voice. So to hear, it's not one person's voice, it's the, the voice of the Jewish people inviting people in. So if we put all of our tables together, maybe there would be room. Maybe. I hadn't considered that. That's, I like that a lot. Yes. I
8: think it's just aspirational. Have everybody at their table but it means that our intention is that we would include the entire community just like standing for the tent of meeting if it were possible they would have everybody there it's not possible but it's a statement that everyone in the community is included in this event mm-hmm. so even though you can't physically have everyone there it's an expression of this would be our intent to include everybody so here it's this isn't a holiday where we're being insular. This is a holiday in which we're thinking about everybody who's in need,
1: and that we would feed them if we could, and that would be our aspiration. So, look at the bottom right corner, and someone can read that. Could you read that text? This is from Kaplan's The New Haggadah. Um, this
8: is the bread of affliction. Let it remind us our fellow men. Remind us of our fellow men who are today poor and hungry. Would that they could come and eat with us. Would that all who are in need could partake of this yep. Pesach feast. Let us here resolve to strive unceasingly for that blessed day when all will share equally in the joy of Pesach, when poverty will be no more, when Eretz Israel will be upheld, and when all mankind will enjoy freedom, justice, and peace.
1: So does that reflect exactly. what you're saying? I have to say that I was a little surprised by By this particular take on it, um, and my surprise stems from how how inactive it is there's no there's no doing it's it's purely aspirational, like would that they could eat with us um, and it's interesting i I looked at uh, the night of questions and I looked at a more contemporary version of the New Haggadah and the the English changes it's actually more literal this is his this is actually the translation in the text it's not let all who are hungry come and eat, it's would that they so (coughs) you know that really emphasizes it because his interpretation of the Hebrew itself is would that they could come but not like let us feed them
5: talking about referencing Pesach because people gather to eat and so forth, mm-hmm. but to me it, it goes beyond that, and uh, that Pesach, but this intention of Pesach should um, spread out throughout all time as opposed to just this one particular time.
1: Ah, so it's something that repeats over and over and over again, well, right? It doesn't it doesn't Pesach, stop. When
5: we will all share equally in the joy of Pesach, it doesn't mean in the moment of Pesach necessarily, mm-hmm. but the, the joy that it... Make others who are in need feel
1: that at some time they will be able to, 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 to experience to freedom and experience right.
5: are, whether it's
7: Adam,
6: Passover, Seder or another time
1: when they may be hungry. Right, right. Our joy should never just be contained to the one moment, um, but we take this moment to to appreciate what, what we have, right, just to think about it. Uh, someone, is, and who hasn't spoken?
4: Well, I was going to say that about this in other Torah study um, classes about the need to take, and I know what you're saying about um, this text not being as active, but the need to take, um, say something about the impossible by something that can become possible only when speaking that it is impossible, as in the parting of the Red Sea and other. Other stories, and the stand that one takes by saying, you know, let let all who are hungry come and eat. That just the statement itself is aspirational, but it's also um, taking, you know, a stand that that's what's got to be in all of our worlds, and that it it would be far less um, powerful to say, you know, let. 10 people come meet, you know, that that the statement of possibility is that which then may create or has the power to create at least in people's minds and ultimately in people, you know, in in the world something that is impossible by nature. So to me, it doesn't bother me at all that it's not, um, that it's such a big statement. Mm -hmm. Um, That doesn't make it less so for me. It makes it more so because...
1: Where are every? Where are people saying that anywhere else? Right. You know, in our homes, I'm now to me that's a huge, you know. You know, an, an, about, another text that I could have put in here is from the, the morning service where we say Baruch Amar blessed is the one who spoke and the world came into being. Just the act of speaking makes things possible. Yes.
3: This is. Also, tefillah, I mean, that this is, in a sense, prayer. And one of the functions of prayer is self-education and self-assertion of values. And so that it's aspirational, I wouldn't say merely aspirational. I think that's an extremely important part of it. In our family seder, a great deal of what goes on is a question of inculcating in the children Mm -hmm. values. And it's not, and and that becomes the precursor to action. Right. But I do think the values and telling ourselves about values and what is important to us and stating what's important to us, as you said, out loud is a very, very important thing. And while it's not a substitute for action, is nevertheless very important in terms of creating action.
1: Right, right. So the rabbi said, Study is more important than doing because it leads to doing. It's the, you can't have one without the other. So uh, another take on this verse, assemble the whole community at the entrance of the Tent of Meeting, comes from Ibn Ezra, a Spanish commentator, whose years you see here, 1089 to 1164, who says... Uh, Well, it wasn't really the whole community. It was the elders and the heads of the tribes, sort of a representational system. So it's incumbent upon these representatives to speak or witness on behalf of of all of the people. Does that help us understand at all? Let all who are hungry come and eat. No.
6: no. <laughs> <laughs> the elders can't eat for the hungry. Mm. The tribe leaders can't mm. do either.
1: Very good. Okay.
6: You know, if I if I had you know seen the commentary and just looking, you know, at, at, this, at the phrases, you know, for the first time, uh, which is probably the case, <laughs> uh, I would think it has nothing to do about nothing to do with food. And I would, I, I would read it, you know, let all those
1: Which verse are you freedom. talking about? Oh, okay, right. Yeah. All those people that want freedom, um,
6: you know, celebrate, you know, come and all those who need freedom come and you know and and celebrate the notion of, of becoming free to Passover. And then and then it, it kind of supports it. It says today we are here, you know, today we are slaves, but at some point they're not slaves. At the point at, at some point in time <clears throat> they they're, they're not a slave at the point they cross the red sea just before they cross the red sea i mean you don't it's being a slave or not a slave is not a, uh, it's not a function of physical location right so they could be free and still be and still be in egypt at that just before they cross the red mm-hmm. sea so i think they're talking about just the whole notion of i mean this is how i mean without reading the commentary just to me it doesn't seem yeah,
1: you know, does really have anything to do with Google. Interesting. Okay. Yes?
5: You know, so much of our tour study <coughs> here, we, there's a lot of literal stuff, and there's plenty of interpretation stuff. And I'm just wondering, you know, you were saying, like, it's very offensive to let all who are hungry Couldn't it just be, instead of literal, that you take it kind of at face value for what so much of our study is, and that is like, you know, it's like we were just talking about, you know, God can't, you can't look at God face to face. When you're going by, you have to turn around. Mm -hmm. I I forgot which one that was we were studying about. but Yeah, shielded. Yeah, shielded. And, I mean, that's very, it's, it's not literal. So, so much of it is the opposite of literal. I'd look at that and just say, it's beautiful, actually. And I don't worry, the uh, yeah, the concept's beautiful. I don't worry that I can't fit all the people around my table, because that would be literally. I'm looking at this more figuratively, and more more and on a more broad scale of what it really, you know, what it's interpretation
1: is. Right. So I think it's the, uh, it is the interpretation before which I quake. Mm -hmm. Because my own experience is that this is speaking to me and it's telling me to do something. And I'm trying to figure out what it is that it's trying to tell me and if I can do it. I mean, this is, you know, these are our our ancestors speaking to us, calling us to do something that, you know, I might not be able to do. How can I do this? I mean, it's really, really humbling. So even if I don't take it literally, um, I, I am forced to figure out how I want to interpret this. And then if it's a call to action... What's the action being called to, and am I up to it? Okay, so
5: for me, the call of action is to just, everybody partakes in this, and it means, you know what, try to have someone who's less fortunate than you at your Seder, try to take someone who's having a tough time, who maybe's lost their job, I mean, in today's world, mm-hmm. you know, and invite them, okay. and let them realize that, that you have a place, and mm-hmm. you don't have to go hungry. And if everybody does that, then I think that's what they're speaking to.
1: So do me a favor. On the lower left hand corner, mm-hmm. there's a, a passage from Ellie Wiesel's Hagadah. Could you read that? Sure.
5: A memory from my town, siget our our state table, what my eyes are great. Our, sed- our, our seder table was never without a stranger. I remember that we went out from our, we went from our one synagogue to the other, from one house of study to the other, looking for a stranger without whom our holiday would be incomplete. And this was true of most Jews in my town, and probably of most Jews in other towns. On Passover Eve, the poor, the uprooted, the unhappy were the most sought after, the most beloved guests. It was for them and with them that we recited, this year, we are still slaves. Next year, may we all be...
1: Lower left hand corner.
5: May we all be free. Without comforting our impoverished guests, our riches would shame us. And so we were grateful to him. In some towns before Passover, Jews would raise funds discreetly. One by one, they would enter a room in the community house. There they would find a dish filled with money. Those who had money left had left some. Those who needed money took some. No one knew how much was given or how much was taken. Thus the needy were taken care of with dignity. Yeah, I mean that's, that I guess is what I'm saying and I would say can't we be happy with that?
1: Can we? What do people think?
2: Not enough. No. Lovely, but I mean, it actually strikes me <coughs> that, that this vision of going around looking for somebody is the most selfish thing. It was to make them feel better. That, not to be shamed by how much they had. It was because they really wanted to help this person the way he writes it. Hmm. Um, I, I'm drawn to the, the, that quaking feeling you have. I'm drawn to the top left, which is it's not incumbent on you, you to complete the work that you've your liberty. To desist from it. So, in community, especially, it is too daunting to try to do something like that on your own. A lot of people, I mean, some individuals can, but here as a synagogue community, we do work to help alleviate hunger. It's not everybody's hunger, mm-hmm. but it's you know this one once a month, that place once a month. Um, we're trying to do. More, we're beginning to do even more as a synagogue to alleviate hunger in specific ways. So to me, it doesn't, it, the, the passage in the middle doesn't bother me, not because I can have somebody and feed them for one night at my seder table, even though that is a nice thing to do, but because it's not, it, it is aspirational and it's inspirational and it's a commandment like do something. We're here and you're not going to maybe have that person tonight. Maybe you didn't find somebody from the corner. But tomorrow, you better get back to work to try
1: to
3: make this real. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I read this, and I, it's a call to action. I mean, it, it says to me it's why Takuna Long is so important. It, it, as Reconstructionists, uh, Ruben talked about it, goodness is in each of us. I'm not going to go to South Central LA and look for homeless to come to my table. But you know we support La Zone, we support charitable causes, we support our congregation, and its outreach. It's it's just at the core of of Judaism as I perceive it and feel it, um, and I think it, it is that call to action, you know, and on a worldwide stage. And I think it's a wonderful
7: clearing call. Mm hmm. Yes. <coughs> when you say that you're uncomfortable with it, and mm-hmm. you're not sure if you can do enough. hmm. It just brings up for me the idea that um, when we save one soul, uh, ki, ki ilu, we are saving the world. Right. Um, and I That's the, the top left. Mm-hmm. And um, that this, you know, there's so much metaphor, so much metaphor in, in the Torah when we talk about let us, let us feed those who are hungry on, on Passover. We're really talking about all the time trying to help people, whether it's soup kitchens or, or whatever, and whether it's Jews or not Jews or that it's, it's a Jewish value to care about people and one of the basic ways we can is to feed them whenever we can.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Why can't it be both?
1: It can be both.
5: Yeah. I mean, I don't see that I think, I think both are perfectly beautiful and perfectly Jewish.
1: Mm-hmm. I'm getting the call.
0: forgot that. I not sign the So it it can be both. Yes? Well, you know, maybe it's
1: not really even about food. You know, it's the bread of affliction. If you're sitting there, and, you know, I think we tend to, um, you know, think that
4: uh, we have. talking about people who don't have, and you start to feel, you know what, maybe my afflictions aren't so bad, and it opens you up to know that people aren't just hungry, but people are hurting for all different kinds of reasons, and it just makes you open to start thinking about that, and
1: then perhaps do something, but also realize you're pretty okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. Uh, one of the things the rabbis do with the word Anya is it's related to the Hebrew word for answers. So it's like this is the bread of answers. So uh, through this ceremony that we have, we're, we're looking for for the answers to the ills in the world. And it, so that becomes a prompt. Yes?
8: You know, one thing this discussion makes me realize is, you know, you ask the question of what's uncomfortable about the Seder. I think <coughs> the uncomfortable at the Seder is the tendency to go through it by rote. Mm-hmm. So it's like this is making me realize like, how many times have we read this sentence and you just blah 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 mm-hmm. and you just keep on going yeah. and you don't stop and say exactly what we're doing here. Right. I mean it's just, you know, especially several years back we had a very large family Seder and it was just, you know, there was like no <coughs> discussion. It was just go straight through the book. And I'm sure that you know, the impact of those words are lessened when that happens. Mm-hmm. But then the flip side, what Bert was saying about teaching the next generation, I still think that possibly even just saying the words, if you grow up and you hear these words every single year, mm-hmm. on some level you're understanding that those are the that's the ethics of my people. Mm-hmm. So I mean so it's kind of a tug for me, like on the one hand, it makes me feel bad that it's rogue and we don't think about it. But on the other hand, the repetitiveness of the seder right. I think
1: still has a value in teaching. Right, it's, and you could say the same of prayer. Like we we pray the same words over and over and over again, uh, but if you don't say them over and over and over again, it's you don't. There's no opportunity for the for the words and the meaning to sink in. And every now and then, like on the Passover seder. You do have, like, an aha moment, um, but you're comfortable with the, the words, and every now and then, something will be going on in your life, and it'll cause you to stop and say, oh, that's what that prayer means. Yes? I just, I just think it's a beautiful reminder um, of both kind of the individual and the collective
5: all wrapped into one. So, you know, on one hand, we think about what we're personally enslaved to, but on the other hand, we're all in it together in the same way. But the words are reflect,
1: we're atoning as a group right. for everybody, and we're all in it. That, you know,
5: the we are slaves, and next year we will be free speaks <coughs> to kind of all of us together. And I find so the reason Reconstruction in, speaks to me so much is because of that kind of collective sense. And it's the individual obligation, yet the obligation to the community. That, and it just it's consistent with all of
1: that. Right. Yes. I guess my question is why is a little discomfort such a bad thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's so Jewish.
6: I mean, I, I, I understand <laughs> in, in principle why it's uncomfortable to deal with mm-hmm. the scope of, of what's being
1: said, but do we really have to rationalize everything to make ourselves feel better and say that it's aspirational? It's okay that it's a wake up call that we have 365 days a year. We're not. Happy about it. Right, I mean, Judaism, so much of Judaism is, is to make us uncomfortable, um, but to give us these opportunities to pause and, and reflect. So when I say I'm uncomfortable, or it makes me squirm, I say that non, non-judgmentally. <laughs> like I need to squirm. You say that as a Jew. I say that as a Jew. You know, we, we, all, need, we all need to, to squirm. Um, one thing that, that comes to mind, I, I had mentioned uh, On Being with Krista Tippett. Does uh, anyone listened to that? Okay. So uh, her guest, uh, a week or two ago, was Father Greg Boyle, who is in is in LA. And he was, um, he's actually a, a, a friend of my wife's. So at her wedding, uh, her first wedding, like 20 something years ago, he did a part in the wedding, and I did a part in the wedding. But I I can't remember him. But he is like a person who's like is really taking this this stuff very very literally. And I wonder how this conversation would be different when you have a person like that who's actually like living there, um, doing doing this work. I think it would be incredibly powerful. Yes. Just one thought, like
5: Rabbi Rubin, you were saying at your state, or you go. Go around and say um, like what is keeping you enslaved today sort of thing right well at our women's Passover celebration that we just had our table went around and spoke about um, what what our rebirth is so you kind of have the yin with the yang and that is a I think a great way to look at Passover because can you imagine if you, you went around and you asked people, okay, what are they enslaved in today? Mm-hmm. And you'd have sort of a, a glum, probably like you'd have the, the nan is going, you know, like feeling sad or whatever. And then what's your rebirth?
1: Right. And so it's like it can make you squirm. Right. And it can make you happy the whole Right. Right, right. Uh, and you could look at this and say, there's, there's a lot of ways that I can, can feed the hungry. Um, The Mazzone quote here, I'm not sure, I I found this online. This was probably a a fundraiser, a direct mail fundraiser at some point, but I couldn't find the year that uh, these words are a pledge, and the pledge is a privilege. And that's that's what I I hear you saying. The other side of sort of the obligation is, wow, I have the opportunity to, to really do this. That's pretty amazing. Um, so the quote is, Surrounded by the hungry and the homeless, we can redeem the pledge. This evening, so that the hungry may eat, we contribute to Mazone, a Jewish response to hunger, and we say together, Blessed is our God, through whose goodness we have been brought to the privilege of sharing our bread. So Mazone, you know, we, is, is a small thing that we can do that has larger ripples, sort of going to the... Um, the idea of the rabbis, whoever preserves a single soul is as if they complete the whole world. I think that also goes back to this even <coughs> Ezra quote that in the Ohel Moed, it was just the elders and the heads of the tribes. It didn't need to be everyone. It needed to be, it needed to be representatives of them, and through the representatives, they were all, uh, they were all present. So, too, with doing a small act that contributes to something much larger, it is if we are doing our part. And that's all that we can expect, is that we would all do our part, even though we can't tackle the whole problem. Not everyone could fit in the Ohelmo aid, but we could, we could do our part to make sure that everyone was somehow represented in there. I want to go to the, the last commentary from the JPS commentary, which many of you, I think, have in front of you. Um, the, de- the designation Petach Ohelmo Age should not be taken literally. So, okay, so we figured that one out. But to go to the end. And according to the JPS commentary, what they envision happening is as many people as could possibly fit in that small space were there. Everyone else was outside. <laughs> watching on a jumbotron. (laughs)
3: Um,
1: So, you know, but to to me, this goes back to the idea that, you know, everyone doesn't have to be at our table. There are lots of tables that they can be at. It's like we can, you know, we have it in our power, we know, to eradicate hunger in the world. You know, all of the science shows that we could actually do it if people would... You know, some people would get out of the way and let the wealth be shared. Um, so, in fact, we c- everyone could fit in that space if we just expand the space and have satellites all over. So we all have a role to play, and there really is a way that we can feed, feed the hungry, but it requires all of us working together. So that's, that's a pretty hefty message. And I know that we need to wrap up. So uh, I hope that you will take this sheet, and I have some extras if you'd like, and share them with your friends and your family and strangers who may be visiting you at your, your Passover Seder. Yep, <laughs> and, uh, and let us remember that really... It is in our hands to feed the hungry, and we all need to find our way to do that.